Can you please turn into your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2 or your scripture journal to Ruth chapter 2? Will we be resuming our text? When you get there, can you please stand to your feet indicating that you're there? We like to honor God's word here at Apostles Church by standing and reading. Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels. And drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband, has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I am worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young without these that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for your presence among your people as we gather together on the Lord's day. Lord, we thank you that you've brought each of us here. Uh, Lord, some of us had uh, challenges this morning, even just getting to church, and yet here we are. And so, Lord, we thank you that we've been able to gather together. Lord, we're mindful this morning of those members of this church who are not able to be here, especially those who can't come to church because of COVID. We pray for your comfort and peace to be upon them. And Lord, we pray as we pay attention now to your word that you would minister to us and you'd speak to each of our hearts and you would continue using your word to transform us and to form us into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to each of us today, that we would hear your voice, Lord, and that you would grow and expand our faith for those of us who are believers. And Father, perhaps there are some here this morning that have never put their faith in Jesus. Maybe they're here asking questions today. Maybe they're exploring what it is that Christianity is all about. Lord, we know you to be a gracious God, a merciful and kind God. We ask that you would even draw them to faith today so that they might enjoy the riches that are found in Christ. And we ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, please be seated. Great to see everyone and worship with you together. Um, okay, it looks like most of you have Bibles. You know, this book that you guys have got is an amazing book. The Bible is an amazing, amazing book. And one of the reasons, in addition to it being divinely inspired, one of the other reasons why the Bible is the most popular book of all time is because the Bible tells an incredible story. We can call that story the gospel. The gospel is the story of this long book here. If you need the Reader's Digest version, it's the message of the gospel. And that is an incredible, incredible story. And the Bible is also made up of tons and tons of shorter stories that help us tell the bigger story, the story of the gospel. And because the Bible is such an incredible story, it has drawn readers and attracted readers for thousands of years. Stories are powerful. Chris Burkhard, who is a leading, perhaps the leading and most successful adventure photographer in the world right now, uh, recently said this about his life goal. He said, if I could sum up my life goal in one sentence, it would be this, to tell meaningful stories. And that's why he is so popular and successful. He does an amazing job through uh, photography and videography of telling meaningful stories. The book of Ruth that we're studying together here at Apostles is a well-loved, very popular story. People enjoy the story of Ruth. And the reason for that is because the book of Ruth tells a meaningful story. And as it does, it points us to the most meaningful story, as we'll see here today. Now, last week, we ended chapter one with two women in the city of Bethlehem. These women are named Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. They had fled from Moab, which was a neighboring kingdom that did not worship the God of Israel. They came back from Moab and returned to Bethlehem, 
the house of bread. And we learned at the very last verse of chapter one that when they returned, it was the barley harvest, which would be springtime. And so they arrive in Bethlehem and there is a harvest that is going on. Now, I'm going to break up chapter two. This is a little bit lengthy. Ryan, great job reading it for us, but a little bit lengthy. I'm going to break this up into four acts. That'll hopefully help us to really grasp exactly what is going on in this story here in chapter 2. But Act 1 does not start at verse 1, rather it starts at verse 2. And the reason for that is because verse 1 is going to set up this entire section of the book. Now, there's a storytelling technique that's going on here in chapter 2. And basically what's happening is that the author of this book is first going to introduce a character in verse 1 who is then going to show up in the story. We'll see him in verses 3 and 4. He'll, he'll, he'll come or become prominent in verse 4. But again, the author is just going to give us an introduction to this character and then he's actually going to show up in the story. And this was a way of helping the listeners to a story or the readers of a story in the ancient world before they had videos and CG and all these other ways of drawing our attention to things, this was a way in the ancient world to draw your attention to the main character, the person who's going to become prominent in the chapter. If you look at verse 1, we find out who this character is that we're being introduced to. His name is Boaz. And we learn a couple of interesting things about Boaz that are important. First of all, we realize that he is a relative of Naomi and her deceased husband, Elimelech. This is going to become incredibly significant later in the chapter. But for now, we learn it's a relative of Naomi. We also learn in verse 1 that he is a worthy man. Uh, Some translations say he's a man of standing. What this means is that basically he was a man of substance. This was a man who had wealth, a man who had power, a man who had standing in the community. He was well-regarded and well-known in the community. So this new character that we're going to find in this chapter could not be more different than the characters we were paying attention to in chapter 1. Right? These two women, Naomi and Ruth, were poor and destitute and had little to no standing in the community at this point. And now here comes this man, Boaz, who is full and rich and has an abundance in the community. So with that introductory note, let's begin in verse 2 with Act 1. The theme of Act 1, which is going to range from verse 2 all the way through 7, is request. So I themed Act 1, request. The reason for that is because in verse 2, Ruth is going to request from her mother-in-law that she be able to go out into the fields to glean in. And then also she's going to request from the foreman of a particular field, she's going to request that she can glean in that field. Now, what does it mean to glean? Well, gleaning is when you go and you gather the leftover crops from a harvest. So after the gatherers had gone through and they had gathered all of their crops, whatever was left over could be gleaned. These would be things that were left on the ground, for example. Or imagine if we were harvesting an apple orchard together and all of us were out picking apples together. We might leave some on the trees that we didn't get to. We got the majority of them. Some were left. Well, if someone was going to come in after us and just pick up the leftovers, that is called gleaning. Now, significantly... 
Biblical law required that if you were a landowner in Israel, you were not supposed to harvest all of your produce. You were supposed to, listen, intentionally leave some of the harvest for people to come and glean. Who were these people that would come glean? They were those who were poor. They were those who were destitute. They were those who were not able to provide for themselves. You were to harvest your crops and leave some to care for those who were in need in the community. You could think of it as an ancient form of welfare, so to speak. Here's what the scriptures teach in Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, evidently, not every landowner in Israel was a worthy fellow. And so Ruth knows that she's going to have to go find a field that hopefully she'll be allowed to glean in. But I love God's heart here. Do you see God's heart here? Do you see how big God's heart is here? That God is saying, listen, I care about all people. I want the poor. I want the vulnerable. I want the disadvantaged. I want the immigrants that are coming in, those who are passing through to not be mistreated. I want them to be cared for. And I want my people to share in my heart. I want you to have my heart to be a kind of people that are actually caring for others who are in need. God wanted his people to be generous. God wanted his people to look at their resources and say, this isn't all for me. I need to take care of others. And family, this is still true today, of course. This isn't just for vineyard owners back in ancient Israel. We recently studied together the New Testament epistle of Galatians, And one of the last sermons in Galatians chapter 6, we found this in verse 10. Paul writes there, he says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. Now, if you were here for the teaching on that, you'll know that that paragraph that verse 10 is in is dealing specifically with how we as Christians should steward our material wealth. And Paul says there in verse 10 that we, of course, need to take care of one another as fellow brothers and sisters in the family. But he says, as you have opportunity, you need to do good to everyone. We should be a people who are caring for others. We've been called to not just use our resources for the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, but rather to use some of our resources to care for the needs of others. Well, in the story, Naomi is going to give her blessing to Ruth, and then Ruth takes off to work for the day. We'll pick up in verse 3. So she set out, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, you might want to underline that little phrase, she happened to come. She happened to come. To come. The question we need to ask is Is this coincidence or is this providence? The, the, The story's written like this is just a coincidence. She just happened to find the field of Boaz and end up gleaning in his field. 
And certainly from Ruth's perspective, this felt like a coincidence. She likely had no idea who this guy Boaz was. She's just out trying to find work and she ends up in this particular field to glean there. But from the narrator's perspective, and certainly from God's perspective, this is a divine setup as we're going to see. I titled the sermon this morning, A Chance Encounter. And chance is going to be in little air quotes like that. A chance encounter. The fact that Ruth happened upon this field is a part of the beautiful mystery of providence. Providence is a fancy theological word that basically means God's active care of his people or care for his people. That God is actively caring for his people. That God is doing things in our lives to provide for and meet the needs of his people. Oftentimes, family, when we happen upon a situation, God has ordained that situation for your good or for my good. Like the time that I happened to show up late to a friend's birthday dinner. And when I walked into the restaurant, there happened to be only one open seat. And I happened to sit down next to the most beautiful woman I had ever seen named Erica. From my perspective, I was just doing my normal thing and being fashionably late. From God's perspective, he was connecting me to my wife. Or like the time that I happened to visit a church outside of Phoenix three years ago. And the president of the North American Mission Board happened to be preaching there that Sunday. And if you know a little bit of my story of how God called my family here to Santa Barbara to take over a church that was struggling at that time, in order for us to come, it required that we needed financial assistance. And the organization that we needed it from was the North American Mission Board. And my last church had me in Phoenix doing some ministry there, and I happened to show up at this random church on a Sunday, and the North American Mission Board president happened to be there preaching. And I sat there in my seat and thought, coincidence or providence? Let's find out. And I talked to him after the service, and he gave me his business card and said, you call me and we will support you guys as you go and replant a church in Santa Barbara. It was providence. You know, so many times in our lives, family, the things that, again, just seem like a coincidence, that it's a chance that this happened. It wasn't something we were planning. These are the very things that God is doing in our lives to take care of us, to bless us. At my children's school, and Diane, you can attest to this, moments like this are referred to as God sightings. God sightings, I love that idea. Little examples of what God's doing in and among his people. And so many things in our lives, even the seemingly mundane or insignificant, like going to work, work like Ruth was doing, or showing up to a friend's birthday dinner, are used by God to bring about surprisingly good outcomes. So Ruth happened to end up in Boaz's field, and Boaz happened to show up that day. Look at verse 4. The narrator writes, And behold, Boaz... You see what he's doing there? It's like he's kind of blowing a trumpet announcing the arrival of the hero of the chapter. Remember verse one? He set this all up for us. Hey, I want you to be paying attention. There's gonna be a guy named Boaz. He's gonna be prominent here. And now in verse four, he's like, in case you're still not getting it, let me help you. Behold, like get your attention. Boaz shows up 
and he walks in. He comes in from the city. We're going to learn in chapter 4, he's again a prominent man. He deals with the elders at the city gates on a regular basis. So he was probably in having a meeting. He comes from the city now, kind of late morning out to his fields to greet his workers. And as he does, we see a bit of his godly character. You'll see the way he greets his workers. He doesn't walk in and go, okay, show me the spreadsheets. Where are the numbers at? How are we doing today? You guys working hard? Who needs to be disciplined? He just walks out and pronounces a blessing on his workers. You can see that they respected him and his godly leadership. He all, they all respond to him with a similar blessing back to Boaz. I love that. You can just see this mutual respect and care between employer and his employees. And then in verse 5, Boaz says to his foreman, his foreman Who is that? <laughs> Who is that? He notices that there is someone gleaning in the field that is standing out. He assumes that a catch like this young Ruth must belong to someone. But his foreman tells him, no, 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 she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. We'll see later that he had heard this story as everyone had in the town of Bethlehem. In verse 7, the foreman explains that Ruth had come to him and requested permission to glean in the fields that day and that she had been hard at work ever since. And so, Here we see a little bit more of the godly character of this woman, Ruth, who's becoming more prominent in the story now. From chapter one, we learn that this young woman was fiercely loyal to her family. She honored and respected her mother-in-law. She cared for her. We also saw that in chapter one, she was a young woman who was kind. She had shown incredible kindness to Naomi and to the rest of her family. We also learn that she was committed to the Lord. She had made a decision that she was going to follow Yahweh with her life. And now here, from what the foreman tells us, we see another another wonderful attribute of this young woman, that she was a diligent, hardworking woman. Much like the woman of Proverbs 31, Ruth was not afraid to get up early in the morning to roll up her sleeves, and to go out and to work her tail off in order to provide for her family. What a great godly example. And this information and this example causes Boaz to spring into action, which brings us to Act 2. And the theme of this act is meeting, where Boaz and Ruth formally meet. In verses 8 and 9, Boaz meets Ruth, and he basically tells her this. He says, I don't want you to look for work anywhere else. Look no further. You can stay in my field. He says, I want you to stay near to my female staff, follow them around, work alongside of them. He also tells her, you don't have to worry about the men in the fields. I've warned all of them. They better keep their hands to themselves. And he says, finally, feel free to refresh yourself with the water that my men draw every single day for my employees. He says, feel free. You can, you can access the water, come back every single day and continue to just glean as much as you want. Now, obviously, Boaz is going so far above and beyond what was expected. And Ruth recognizes that. That's why in verse 10, she literally bows down at his feet. She's prostrate on the floor with her... Uh, attitude of just humble gratitude. She's so thankful. She's so amazed at the generosity and the kindness of this man, Boaz. 
As a foreigner and as an attractive young woman, Ruth is painfully aware that she could have been treated really, really badly by the men of Bethlehem. There were no guarantees here. And yet here in this encounter with this wealthy, powerful man of influence, rather than being abused or mistreated, she's being respected and honored and provided for. And so all she can ask is, why? Like, why are you doing this for me? Well, notice his answer. Look at verse 11. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So her question is, why are you being so nice to me? And his answer is essentially your reputation. I've heard about you. I've heard two things in particular. On, the, on one hand, I've heard of your kindness, your kindness toward Naomi. You have been exceptionally kind to her. On the other hand, I've heard of your conversion. I heard what you did. I heard that you left your parents, your mother and your father. I heard that you left your land. I heard that you left your gods and that you have now come to Israel to seek refuge from the God of Israel, to seek refuge from Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. And so he says, that's why I'm happy to bless you. Now what he doesn't say, but is implied is the fact that she was really pretty probably didn't hurt either. But the answer he gives is essentially your reputation. It precedes you, I've heard your story. And this reminds us of the power of a reputation the power of a person's reputation. Much of Ruth's success is owed to her godly reputation. And I wonder this morning, family, what is your reputation? How do the people who know you, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people in this church family, the people in your neighborhood, the people that sleep under the same roof roof as you, how do they think about you? Do you have a good name? Do others think well of you? See, Ruth was known in this community to be loyal, to be kind, to be godly, and to be hardworking. It's not surprising that Boaz is favorable toward her. If she was rude and argumentative toward Naomi, if she had come to Israel kicking and screaming, if she had showed up to Israel lazy and entitled, Y'all owe me stuff. Give me, give me my, my portion. Do you think that Boaz would be like, hey, I'd love to have you working in my fields? Certainly not. But rather, this woman was marked by godliness and grace, and she catches Boaz's eye. Notice that he expects that the Lord will repay her in kind for what she has done. His generosity is just a small part of how he hopes Yahweh rewards Ruth's faith and her faithfulness toward Naomi. Notice he requests that a full reward be given to her. Now, what might that look like, a full reward? I think we have a little bit of a clue back in chapter 1 when Naomi prayed for her daughters-in-law. Here's verse 9 of chapter 1. Naomi said, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. I think that's a good answer of what a full reward would look like for these daughters. That they wouldn't have to be out breaking their backs in the fields, that they would find rest in the home 
of her husband. Could Boaz become the answer to both him or his and Naomi's wishes for Ruth? Come back next week to find out. No, I'm just kidding. In verse 13, Ruth realizes that she's found favor in his eyes and she is so unbelievably comforted. Which brings us to Act 3, themed mealtime. Look at verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. So we're at the point now in this story where they're taking a lunch break. It's probably early afternoon and they're having their lunch break. Boaz invites Ruth to join his staff for their meal. And what did they eat? Little Caesars. No, I'm just kidding. It was bread and a dipping sauce. It was a, a wine that they would dip in. And uh, also roasted grain. And she was able to eat, we read, until she was totally satisfied. Not only was she satisfied, but she had leftovers that she could even take home. Well, once she leaves the table and she goes back to work, did you see the little secret conversation that Boaz has with his staff? She walks out of the room. She's oblivious to it all. And he's like, hey, guys, come here. I want you to hook her up. I want you to bless that young woman. Okay, I already told you that when you gleaned in a field, that meant that you were allowed to walk, uh, walk around and kind of pick up the leftovers. He's like, leave the leftovers. You know what? Never mind. Do this. After you guys pick some of my harvest, throw some barley on the ground behind you so she can just follow you up and just pick this up so easily. He is, he is guaranteeing her success in the field. He's setting her up. So at this point, you and I can tell, as I'm sure Boaz's staff could tell, that this young woman was special to him. She had really caught his attention. Now here's some bonus material for the young men in the church. Perhaps you're considering what it's going to look like to pursue a woman. You can learn some things from Boaz here. This is not, this is not A-roll here. This is B-roll footage in this sermon, but you're welcome. There's some things we can learn from Boaz. Three quick things. Notice this. He was interested in this woman, and what do we find that he does? Number one, he respects her. Number two, he protects her. And number three, he provides for her. Okay, that was his intention. He respected this woman, he protected her, and he sought to provide for her. And we see that example of godly men throughout the scriptures. Sinclair Ferguson, the great preacher, pointed out that little insight. I thought it was so helpful. Good ideas for all of the men in our church. This brings us now to Act 4 and the end of the story. The theme of Act 4 is recap because there's going to be a debrief between Ruth and her mother-in-law when she gets home. Verse 17, the day's work closes. Okay, she's done working. And she goes to measure up all that she had gleaned in the field that day. And when she is done measuring it all up, the scriptures tell us that she had an ephah of barley. That's crazy, right? You guys know what an ephah is, right? Do you even study your Bible, bro? Like, no, I'm just kidding. Of course we don't. I had to look it up too. What's an ephah? We don't measure by that anymore. <coughs> an ephah was approximately, listen to this, 
30 to 50 pounds of barley. 30 to 50 pounds. This woman must have been a very fit young woman. Like, have you ever carried a 50-pound grocery bag from your car to your kitchen? That's hard work. I think my dog food bag is like 35 or 40 pounds. And like getting that out of the back of the car, I throw it on my shoulder and walk it over to the garage. That's heavy. This young Moabitess, Ruth, takes a 30 to 50 pound sack of barley and she carries it not from the car to the kitchen. She carries it, for, carries it from outside of the town in the fields all the way back into the city and to her home. This, this gal was up at 5 a.m. doing spin class. She was doing CrossFit, okay? She was in shape. She was strong. And she comes home with this load of barley. Now, we know that this was unbelievable because we see it in her mother-in-law's reaction. Look at what Naomi says when Ruth comes walking through the door. She says, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Translation, how in the world did you score all of that? Who is the person responsible for hooking you up with that much barley? See, she's not walking in the door with a tiny bag from Vaughn's. She's coming home from the Costco run. Okay, she's like unloading so much. And then she also has a box of pizza from Costco, right? She had the leftovers from lunch that she's able to give to Naomi for dinner. This little bundle of barley was enough to feed these two women for several weeks. It's incredible. It's a ton of food. And so when Naomi sees all of this, she's astonished and rightfully so. Like, how did you get all of this stuff? I love this scene. You can't help but smile when you just kind of like think of what's going on and you imagine Ruth walking out of the the house that morning and going, I hope I find a field to work in today. I hope I find something. And all of a sudden she's coming in now and she can hardly even carry in the hall from one day of work. What you and I are meant to see here from this passage is we're meant to see what happens to those who put their trust in the Lord. See, Ruth left everything. I already mentioned this, her family, her native land. She turned her back on her gods that she was raised with. She left everything. Ruth had nothing. Okay, the cupboards were completely bare. Her and her mother-in-law had no idea how they were going to provide for themselves. She walks out that morning and the cupboards are bare. She returns now and she is, listen to me, burdened down by the blessings of God. It is so overwhelming that she can barely even stand under the weight of the blessings that God is giving to this woman. And you and I are meant to see here a picture of what it looks like for a person to put their trust in the Lord. That you have nothing of real significance or worth or value, and yet the moment you put your faith in the Lord God, the blessings that he provides for you are almost too much to handle. Now, some of you might say, well, I know Christians who the cupboards are bare. They don't have blessings. That may be true. But the blessings that become ours in Christ are, are, are not just here to take care of temporal issues. Paul speaks of it as an eternal weight of glory. Like the weightiness of it, the heaviness of it, you might not even make it through the door, it's going to break your back heavy. 
the things that God has stored up for us in eternity who have put our faith and trust in him are blessings beyond compare. Well, the plot thickens, and I want to turn your attention to it at this point. The question Naomi asked is, where did you work today? Like, who hooked you up? And I love, again, sort of the, how naive Ruth is here. She says, well, I worked in the field of some guy named Boaz. Again, that name meant nothing to her, but hey, I worked in Boaz's field today. Naomi's like, Boaz, did you say? Because all of a sudden, that name means an awful lot to Naomi. That name opens up a world of possibility. Naomi sees this chance encounter between Ruth and Boaz as direct evidence of the Lord's kindness. Here's that key word we've been talking about, hesed in Hebrew. She sees this as direct evidence of the Lord's kindness to her and Ruth and their entire family line. And that's not only because he generously provided for them today, but even more so because he's a close relative of theirs and one of their redeemers. Now, that is a very significant word in the Bible, the word redeemer. And that word is going to take on eternal significance in Jesus. But at this point in the storyline of the Bible, a redeemer was a particular role in Jewish society. And this is so important for us to really grasp all of what is going on in the book of Ruth. One of the concerns in Jewish society was that Jewish families not become extinct and then by extension, their property run the risk of falling out of their family or falling out of their clan or falling out of their tribe. Therefore, when the man or the men of a family died and there was no remaining heir, when Naomi's situation happened, a near relative within the family could redeem the property by purchasing it so that it stayed within the family and can continue to be passed down. Thus, when we get to chapter 4, Naomi is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her deceased husband, Elimelech, because she has no heirs to inherit that property. In addition, it was the duty of the closest male relative of a deceased man to marry the childless widow and father children with her. So let me say that again. The closest male relative of a deceased man in Israel was by law responsible to marry the widow and then father children with her. And this is why. Here's what would happen. Once they conceived, her firstborn son would then be acknowledged in Israel as the son of her deceased husband and would inherit all of his property. Thus, the family line and the property of the deceased man in Israel would continue on and his wife and any other dependents would be cared for. This was instrumental in the framework of Jewish society. So, why does that matter? It matters because the fact that Ruth worked in Boaz's field and that she found favor in his eyes could now be the key to a complete reversal of all of the misfortune that these two women have experienced. Can you imagine Naomi's face now? Remember, last time we met Naomi in chapter 1, her face was marked by a frown. The lines underneath her eyes were deeply impressed because of years of grief. When she woke up that morning to the sunrise, the cupboards were bare. 
All she had sensed was misfortune at the hands of Yahweh. And now between the, the time that the sun rose and the sun set, she sees the complete reversal possible of all of her misfortune. She sees just in this 12-hour period, fullness beginning to enter into her home. She must have had a smile from ear to ear. She's got food in her cupboards for weeks. Not only that, but Boaz instructed Ruth to stay in his fields for all of his harvest, not just the six or seven weeks of barley, but he said, I want you to keep working through the wheat harvest as well. In other words, as she goes to sleep that night, Naomi realizes we have months of provisions stored up for us now. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? And best of all, they had the chance of being redeemed and God completely undoing all of the disaster that had befallen them. Could it be? Well, time will tell. For now, these two ladies go to sleep full of food and full of faith. Faith that perhaps God did have a bright future for them after all. So as we close, let's bring this story full circle this morning. What you and I are witnessing as we've gotten through the first two chapters of Ruth is the budding of an incredible love story. What we're seeing here is a man named Boaz, who is a man of standing and kindness and generosity, and he blesses this young foreign woman. We find Ruth, a godly woman with an incredible reputation, and she's caught his eye. And through Boaz, God is beginning to provide for Ruth and Naomi. But in this story, we're also beginning to see a picture of the larger love story of the Bible. A story that tells us that we all, like Ruth, were once lost. That we all, like Ruth, were once alienated from the people of God. That we all, like Ruth, once worshipped something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, sent us the perfect man, the man Christ Jesus, to bring us into his family and allow us to experience bounty at God's table. Like Boaz, Jesus Christ lacked nothing and owed us nothing. But he took notice of us and he made the decision to lavish blessings upon us. And like Boaz, Jesus Christ is perfectly qualified to be our redeemer and to deliver us from our peril. But family, our peril is not the same peril that Naomi and Ruth experienced. It is so much worse. Our peril is not just temporal. It's not that we're poor or that we're hungry. It could be that, but it's so much more. Our peril is eternal. Because of our sin, the scripture teaches us that all of us are separated from God and we are hopeless apart from grace. And yet Christ, our Redeemer, through his life, death, and resurrection, paid the price for our sins and includes us in his eternal life so that we can share it with him. The million-dollar question is, how do we get it? How do we come to share in the provision and the blessing of God that is found in Christ? The answer is this, by responding to his kindness. Notice that Boaz offered this provision to Ruth but she had to respond to it. She had to show up day in and day out and glean in those fields. She had to make the decision to say yes to what he was offering her. 
And we know that Ruth does make that decision. She turned her back on Moab and its gods and she sought refuge in the Lord. She looked to him and she looked to the redeemer that he provided for her help. And so too for us. So I would ask you this morning, are you looking to the redeemer that God has provided for us? For provision, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. Have you come to a point in your life where like Ruth, you realize that whatever you were hoping in and whatever you were doing in your life was going to ultimately result in you being bankrupt. And so you turned your back on that. It's called repentance. And instead placed your trust and your hope and your future in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't, please, please change that today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day for you to say, even in the quietness of your own heart, I am declaring my allegiance to Jesus Christ. I am going to put my faith in him because he died on the cross for my sins 2,000 years ago and he rose again and he is the only one who can give me eternal life. So I am going to follow him. You can make that decision right now in the quietness of your own heart. And we pray that you do. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that we can once again as a church family meditate on and reflect on your grace, your provision, your kindness, your goodness. What an incredible story that we're seeing unfold in the book of Ruth. A story of a woman who came from a foreign land because she had heard of your kindness toward your people. And so she made a decision that she was going to place her faith in you. She was going to trust in you and she was going to begin following you for the rest of her days and see how that worked out for her. And Lord, here in chapter two, we're beginning to see exactly how that is working out for her. That for all those who put their faith and trust in the Lord, you prove yourself to be more than a generous and faithful God. And so Lord, our hearts are once again stirred this morning. And Lord, I pray for all of us that are Christians, that our faith would be strengthened today. That as we've had these gentle reminders in this text of your goodness toward us and your faithfulness, that we would leave this church today filled with faith, filled with trust, filled with hope, and filled with joy regarding our future because we know it's secure in your hands. Lord, we also pray for any among us today who have never put their faith in Jesus. Again, perhaps they're here exploring what Christianity is all about today. Lord, I pray that you would, in the power of the Holy Spirit, help them to understand exactly what it's about. It's not about them figuring it out. It's not about them getting their life together. It is about them turning their hearts over to you and beginning to depend on you from this day forward. And Lord, we pray that you would give them that measure of faith and they would say even now that today I declare that I am going to follow Jesus. Lord, would you save some in our midst? We love you, Jesus. And we're so thankful for your love for us that is evident in these scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.